1: Welcome back to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. We provide full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up to date with the latest developments in the field of arboriculture. New podcasts are made available about once per month. If you have a favorite topic that you would like to learn more about, please contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this podcast series, at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, your host for Science of Arboriculture, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Today's lecture is by Adriana Jatsakevitz. Adriana is the director of the Green Streets Program for New York City, Her lecture is titled, New York Green Streets and Stormwater Management. It was originally presented at the ISA International Meeting in Chicago in July 2010.
0: Thank you everyone for coming. I'm really excited to be here and share the work that we're doing in New York. I want to thank the ISA for having me, and I want to thank my team of five landscape architects and one environmental engineer who are back in the city uh, working as we are here today and without whom I wouldn't be here. So I'm going to tell you a little bit, give you a brief introduction, go through this pretty quickly. Here's New York. I think most people know it's right between Washington and Boston on the East Coast. New York City is divided politically and in terms of government into five boroughs. And as you can see from our geography, we are surrounded by water. Every borough is an island. Brooklyn and Queens are part of Long Island, which is separated from the coast of Connecticut. And then the Bronx is actually attached to the rest of the state of New York. Just to give you an overview of our gray resources, 62% of acreage in New York City is considered gray or impervious, and 38% can be considered pervious. And that's 78,095 acres of tree, grass, or soil coverage, and we have 5.2 million trees Included in that according to our U4 study, which is done by David Nowak. We have 29,000 acres of parkland Which makes up 14% of the city. This is what the Parks Department is responsible for. Includes 800 athletic fields 13 golf courses 14 miles of beaches uh, nearly a thousand playgrounds. We have 1,651 acres of freshwater wetland 1,498 acres of salt marsh 1,444 acres of meadow, and 5,136 acres of forest. Believe it or not, there are forests in New York City. In terms of canopy cover, we have 24% canopy cover, which includes 5.2 million trees, and we definitely have a lot of room for improvement in that area. And hopefully our Million Trees program will increase our percent canopy cover in that. We have an estimated 2 million trees in landscaped parks, and an active program to replace the trees in the parks um, as they die. We have 593,132 street trees, and that number is according to our 2005 uh, street tree census. And uh, my area, we have 2,484 green streets currently as of the end of June. <laughs> and you can see how it breaks down by borough there. But basically, um, Green Streets is a partnership between the Parks Department and New York City Department of Transportation. We convert areas of unused roadbed to landscape planting beds filled with shade trees, flowering trees, ornamental shrubs, ground covers, perennials, et cetera. And this is just a slide to show you that we, don't, we cannot take our environment for, for granted, we've learned, because it's neither fixed in time nor place. <coughs> And um, development is a constant threat. Um, you can see this map was done by Christopher Small at the Mont, uh, Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory at Columbia University, and it uses satellite imagery to show the vegetation loss between 1984 and 2002. You can see we lost 4.5% of our vegetation cover, largely due to development. At the same time, New York City's population is increasing. Currently, we have, I believe it's close to 8.5 million people in the city. And by the year 2030, we expect to add another million to that. And those are conservative projections. So to address these challenges, in April of 2007, our mayor, Mayor Bloomberg, presented Plan YC, uh, which is basically a vision for sustainability for the city for the the next 10 years. And the city is actively working on continuing that through 2030. The plan is intended to address... uh, as a response to the challenges of population increase, aging infrastructure, at-risk environment, and public health issues such as childhood asthma and obesity problems that our population experiences. I wish I had a picture of Mayor Daly to put up there also, but this is just a reminder that we can affect change at a city and a local level. We don't have to be uh, president of the United States to change the laws and change the way that we do things. And I I really like that quote down there. We have taken as a basic value that a healthy environment is not a luxury good, but a fundamental right essential to creating a city that is fair, healthy, and sustainable. So what does Plan YC mean to the Parks Department? It means that we have solid 10-year funding for street trees, green streets, and reforestation. Initially, our green streets budget was double that. It was $15 million, but we are making do. We had a minor budget cut like the rest of the country. <laughs> um, and our total greening budget is still $208.5 million. And this means that we can plant 220,000 new trees on the city streets, build 800 new green streets, and reforest 2,000 acres of parkland um, over the next 10 years. Actually, I should say between 2007 and 2017. So just to go into a little bit of uh, depth on what green streets are, because they're kind of a New York concept in terms of how we define them. It's mostly by shape and location in the roadbed. So this is a traditional green street in Queens that's uh, starting to fill in. We have, in general, we have these different typologies. Medians, which are surrounded by roadbed on both sides, long linear strips. Triangles, sidewalk bump outs, which can be just wide, very wide sidewalks that we take over and basically plant. And we also have neck downs and um, basically curb bump outs, which are located at the intersections. We have some plazas, which are on the large end of our uh, scale. And then we also have these uh, pedestrian refuge islands, which are little miniature mediums, I call them, (laughs) located at the intersection. This is a new DOT design, or Department of Transportation design, to increase pedestrian safety and uh, slow and calm traffic, which is one of their number one priorities. So our requests for Green Streets come in from local politicians, from city residents, and also from within the Parks Department. And basically, my team of landscape architects um, goes out there and surveys them using simple tools like measuring wheels and measuring tape. And we call the sites into one call. You can see the gas line marked out there in the corner. And uh, as you can see this site here, it's just channelized roadbed. It was a very wide road with this linear uh, channelized roadbed that went down the middle of it, and people were speeding all the way along this road from one end to the other because there were no traffic lights. So we also uh, look very closely at the traffic volumes and um, traffic patterns. We look at the existing vegetation and canopy cover in determining our species selection, and we look at how the site is being used by pedestrians. And we work very closely with the Department of Transportation. Because our sites are in the public right-of-way, all of our designs have to be approved by DOT. And we work with the engineers at the Division of Highway Design and Construction, largely. Um, And they permit our sites. And then our sites are built through our city contract system, which is basically lowest qualified bidder with relevant experience. It's you know, obviously, you're not always going to get the best contractors, but we have been become more and more successful at implementing quality control in terms of what we get, and we are out there during construction, supervising as much as possible to make sure that the designs are built as per the specifications. I, I will note that we do change the soil in the majority of our sites, because what's under the asphalt in New York City varies tremendously throughout all five boroughs. And the subsoils likewise vary tremendously from pure sand to in, in Queens, in Staten Island, and to bedrock in the Bronx. And here's the site when it's built. Um, you can see the designer chose hybrid elms and silver lindens, and they're planted 25 feet on center with ground-covered junipers, um, blue fescue, and some roses and daffodils. Um, inter- so our primary objectives with Green Streets are greening and urban beautification, Um, increasing canopy cover, mitigating the urban heat island and providing habitat and food for wildlife which you would be surprised uh, at what we find in our sites they're they're thriving or teeming with city wildlife and then also traffic calming which jives nicely with the Department of Transportation so just to go through quickly um, some examples, this is before after and then after after I'd like to say the site is about 8 years old right now Um, those are think little leaf lindens this is a triangle in the Bronx which before was just concrete some of our sites are concrete with curbs some of them are just asphalt and we have to build the curbs um, after and then actually just a few months after the initial planting picture on the right and I think that's a ginkgo and then we have some echinacea and spirea and miscanthus before this is a very urban site uh, right off the West Side Highway in Manhattan and then after and those are river birches there, and red leaf roses, um, ground cover junipers, switchgrass, and uh, millennia. And this is before in the Bronx, and then after. And you can see that the trees fill in nicely. This was a small site, so we had to go with red redbuds, and I think that's ground cover euonymus. A lot of our sites have um, industrial and commercial uses adjacent to them, so we have to be you know, cognizant of how wide the trucks are and, and, you know, whether we're on a bus route and what's gonna need to come through there. This is in the Bronx, this, those are Knockout Roses, Rebecca and Miscanthus in there. Some Colorado Blue Spruces and also Zalcovas. Uh, more suburban neighborhood in Queens. And this is just an incredibly vast sidewalk in Brooklyn along the side of a parkway that people would speed along. And then this is afterwards. Another very residential site. I put this in here because um, it's important to note that the Parks Department maintains these sites even though they're in the right-of-way on DOT property. And we have a memorandum of understanding that the Parks Department will maintain them and DOT can take the land back at any time if they need to. But volunteers are critical in terms of assisting the Parks Department in maintaining them. All right, and this is the last one of the uh, traditional green streets. I believe that's, those are Swamp White Oaks and some Nepeta and some uh, Roses and laripe but I want to transition into talking about our impetus behind shifting to stormwater capture as a goal and objective for our designs. I think no matter where we live or work today, climate change has become a reality, which we're starting to experience more and more on a personal <coughs> level. The, uh, around the globe, temperatures are rising, the sea level is rising, and precipitation is increasing in intensity and frequency. I know, if, it, if I needed any reminder, when I left New York, we were in the middle of our second drought of the summer. And this is, you know, it's only July. Usually we have droughts in August, but, um, the leaves on the trees were turning brown. The phones were ringing off the hook. And, um, luckily when I left, I believe it finally rained. But when, then when I arrived in Chicago, I went to sleep and I woke up to, what was it? Six or eight inches of rain, that... seven inches of rain. So
1: who waters green seeds
0: then? Um, the, the Parks Department does, does water the sites. So we have very limited maintenance crews, though, and the budget is, has experienced severe cuts. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, our geography makes us, our geography, we're, we're islands surrounded by water. We're particularly vulnerable to um, sudden downpours, flash floods, and north, northeasters. As, as we all noted, in, precipitation is increasing, and climate change projections are for more frequent and more intense periods and heavy downpours. This is not in New York City. This is in this is a river in Massachusetts, but put that in there for dramatic effect. So um, what we're seeing is that we're getting more water when we don't need it, and less water when we do. And these these slides are from the Union of Concerned Scientists. At the same time, New York City has a very <laughs> aging infrastructure to handle stormwater, and we have an increasing population, population, which means that our sewage is increasing. And we have a combined sewage and stormwater system. So what happens is the system can handle sewage volume in New York um, in a dry period, in dry weather, but when it rains, stormwater and runoff fills the catch basins and enters the same pipes that are carrying raw, untreated sewage. And when it reaches a certain point, forces it's, this is, the pipes are forced to overflow out into New York City's harbors. And the result is that more than 27 billion gallons of raw sewage and polluted stormwater discharge from 433 CSOs into the harbors each year. By far, CSOs are the leading cause of water pollution in New York City's harbors.
1: Peter
0: know about those, he's going to be mad. I'm sure he does. Uh, here's, a, here's an illustration of a CSO discharging into the Harlem River. And these are actually, these are watersheds which are more contaminated than federal standards. It looks like, just at a glance, it looks almost like 50% of New York City's watersheds.
1: Can you CSO?
0: That's the combined sewage overflow when you have a system that handles both sewage and, and uh, stormwater runoff. Um, so our goals with stormwater capture are to capture the runoff and prevent uh, CSO discharge where possible and to recycle and retain the water for plant use I, I will note that we do not have underdrains in our systems, largely because we don't have the maintenance ability to clean them out and maintain them, so we want our sites to be self-sustaining as much as possible. Uh, we're working to pilot new capture techniques um, that are suitable for New York and our climate patterns, and we want to develop standard designs and then actually study what's going on with the hydrology and the soil moisture dynamics in our sites. So just about in 2009, we had our 50% budget cuts. and. Um, We were told, well, you still have to build your 800 green streets, but with 50% less money. Um, So we started looking for other funding sources, um, which we do regardless. And the mayor's office of sustainability came to us, and they said, you know, there's this federal stimulus money out out there. It doesn't seem like they're awarding a lot of the green money uh, for planting to New York City, but there's all of this clean water funding, and there's a lot of it, and, you know, maybe you should apply for it. So... We put together a proposal very quickly, and um, the mayor's office vetted it. And we eventually received our—we were awarded and received the two million dollars in federal stimulus. Um, it's clean water funding. It's coming from the federal government, but it's being administrated, administered sorry—by New York State Economic Development Council, um, which is part of our DEC, basically. Um, so it will allow us to build 26 new stormwater green streets by the year 2012, and we anticipate with our calculations that we'll be able to keep 8 million, capture 8 million gallons of stormwater a year. Um, so this is a really unique funding source for us, and I just want to point out that I think we were the only um, agency other than New York City DEP, which is Department of Environmental Protection, which has, handles all the sewage and the water treatment, et cetera, to receive this funding. So um, DEP received two, $200 million, and we received $2 million, just to put that in perspective. And the majority of their projects are not green infrastructure-focused. So um, if you're looking for funding, somewhere to go. Um, so we put together a proposal with localized flooding hotspots and um, clusters of proposed sites um, because we, we realized that the best way to um, deal with this was, as Peter said, on a local level. So for example, um, this is Seagirt Boulevard in Queens. There's a lot of flooding along Seagirt. And what we're finding, um, this is in the Rockaways. Um, the ocean is just right here. So what we're finding is that all of these roads up here are draining down towards Siegert, um, but there are flooding problems throughout. So these, um, it's hard to read. I apologize for the clarity of this. Um, But the flood zones are here, here. um, There is one actually along here. We've just covered it up. Um, And what we uh, determined, we took the city's 311 call data. 311 is like a hotline that... um, city residents can call in. So we took all the complaints about flooding, and we mapped them out, and then we tried to put together our proposal based on where the flooding problems were um, to build, you know, clusters of green streets. And we also focused on watersheds with overburdened CSOs and um, Trees for Public Health Neighborhoods, which is a program within our tree planting where we focus on neighborhoods with childhood asthma problems um, and focus our canopy efforts on planting in those neighborhoods. So this is an illustration, uh, Seagirt Boulevard, if I can use this pointer, right down here. I want to show you this site. This is between Beach 19th and Beach 20th Street. Um, And this is one of the first sites that we built. Um, This is Seagirt running this way. This is Beach 19th down here. And this is Beach 19th as it runs down toward Seagirt. So you can see what it looked like before. There was major flooding going along here, and there was major flooding all along here. Um, and further into the road too. this road was not crowned evenly and this was a tiny little existing green street which had a you know granite block edging around it and wasn't honestly wasn't doing much but besides looking pretty Um, and then this is afterwards Um, this just finished at the end of May so you can see we had to keep this lady's driveway because she still had to get out of her house Um, but we managed to build two um, bioswale planting beds on either side of the driveway Um, And Luckily, she was very supportive. (laughs) Um, And then this is Beach 19th here, and you can see this is our contractor's truck. He hadn't even left when we took the picture, so he gets some free advertising. So the water enters here. Um, This is a diamond-plated inlet, and then it also enters here. It's difficult to see through a small inlet, and it enters on the opposite side on Beach 19th, like up here, um, where you can't see it. And then here, the water um, just immediately enters in this curb cut. This little bit of concrete is supposed to slow it down, um, which it does. And then it enters these three, uh, diff- three um, like weirs, three different planting beds, where the water goes up over here and into the next one, and then up over there and into the next one. And they have um, three-quarter inch crushed bluestone to slow the water down as it goes through the plants. Um, there is no outlet to the majority of our designs. So we designed to hold the water on site. So just to explain how we go about this, our survey process is a little bit different for our stormwater sites. Um, We do not have a survey division on my team. We have one environmental engineer. um, And so we we tried to work with the capital survey team and they've helped us tremendously. Unfortunately, there are now only two surveyors over there uh, for the whole agency. So we're limited in terms of how much they can help us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our, my landscape architects go out there and they survey the high points and the low points. And we try to cite the, um, set the deepest part of our bias whale where the low points are and where the high points are draining to. So we determine our uh, sub-watershed um, by taking all the areas between the high points, um, measuring down to the low points. And that's the total square footage that, will be, um, that the water that falls on will be entering our sites. So you can see here, we have this area is our subwatershed for this um, triangular bioswale, and then this area is our subwatershed for this portion of the same site. And there's a sidewalk that runs in between them, um, which is pitched towards um, this site, the larger site. At the same time, we look at our subsoils, and um, Department of Design and Construction has been very helpful in digging. Um, drilling borings for us. So we're able to put in infiltration wells and actually see what's down there and see how high our water table is and also, you know, have a heads up if we're going to be hitting bedrock in the Bronx that this might not be such a great place to capture stormwater. Here's an example of the design for that site. You can see the water runs along the curb where it's naturally running. Um, Most of the roads in the city, as anywhere, are crowned in the center and run off to the side. So that's, that's why the bump out configuration is so useful for capturing storm water. So the water comes in here through an inlet, enters this bio planting bed. It also c- runs along here and it runs from this crown, which you can't see here, down to here um, and it enters this inlet. And this site actually does have an outlet. We're really hoping that we don't see much coming out. So I'm going to go through some of the techniques that we're using. Um, I do want to emphasize that this is new for us. We, our Green Streets program started in 1996, but our stormwater capture designs began in 2006. So we've been doing it for about four years now, three and a half, four years. So we're still in the pilot phase, or we consider ourselves in the pilot phase, but we're actively building these as much as our funding will allow. Um, and we have the support of the mayor to continue that. So PVC pipe inlets, very simple. Um, Surface edging and pitch sidewalks, trench drains, curb inlets, deep excavation, and bioswale grading. Um, I'm gonna go through these uh, one by one. But just in terms of, I wanna show you some pictures of construction. Here's the deep excavation. We go down at least three feet, uh, sometimes four feet. There is a, a base that we put in. I'm gonna get into this. And then here's an example of our inlet being formed concrete and then our non-woven geotextile fabric going down at the bottom, which we sometimes do not use. And then our topsoil, and then you can see the bioswale grading right here, that's where the deepest point is. And then the planting afterwards, uh, where the water's actually working through here.
1: Do you have to accommodate
0: for underground utilities? We do, we call all of the sites then, into one they, call. Do
1: they go through?
0: They do, sometimes they do, because they're in the roadbed also. Yeah. So we work around them, and we work closely with Con Edison, and um, the power companies. We, we do have those relationships set up. Um, some, sometimes you're right, we're not able to build because of that, because of what's under there. If there's a DEP water main, they're not going to let us build stormwater capture on top of it, especially if we're planting trees. They're not very happy about the, co- the, you know, the possibility of the trees breaking into their pipes. So deep excavation, I call this the Paul Mankiewicz model because uh, Paul Mankiewicz is the scientist behind the uh, Gaia Institute and he came up with this model that we started using. Um, we go down three feet and we put down a, a layer of non-woven geotextile fabric which um, wraps all the way up the sides of the pit. Then we put down one foot of three quarter inch crushed washed bluestone and then we put another layer of this non-woven geotextile fabrics that also wraps all the way up the sides. And, the, and then we put our two feet of um, you know, DPR spec topsoil on top of that. So the idea um, is that the filter fabric um, will wick the moisture in the uh, crushed gravel upwards and into the soil layer. Um, so in, in a sense this is our retention area and our storage area. But the water should be able to reach the roots above. Um, We are experimenting with using sand. We're experimenting with not using the layer of filter fabric. And uh, we're looking into using crushed or recycled glass from the Department of Sanitation because it's free and cheap. (laughs) So here's just an example of a bioswale detail. Our maximum slope is typically 3 over 1. We try to size our sites to accommodate um, 2 inches of stormwater. the EPA recommends 1.7 inches over a 24-hour period, I believe, but we're shooting for 2 inches just because of the flash flooding that we get, and also to reassure the engineers at DEC that our designs are sized appropriately. And this is an example of a, of a bioswale that was installed along uh, Pelham Parkway in the Bronx. There's a permeable shoulder here. Um, the first flush of water comes in off the street, and it enters this and is dissipated. And this. This is also that three quarter inch gravel, and it, it goes all the way down to the three feet, um, three feet down to the reservoir that's below the whole site. So the water is, um, so that basically our plant, planting bed is not eroded. Um, I will say that there has not been much erosion in this site. However, people are driving over this shoulder and um, stopping there when they break down. So that's, that's a challenge. Um, Pitch sidewalks, Uh, we slope all of our sidewalks at 2%, which is the maximum we can have and still be ADA-compliant. They're sloped at 2% towards our site um, when we're building new sidewalks. Um, Pipe inlets, when we pour new curbs, we can install these, just a simple PVC pipe that goes in in the curb as it's being poured, and we've learned that you have to allow for the asphalt restoration that comes um, after the curbs go in, because if you don't pour them at the proper level, only half the pipe is functional, and the water's not going in. Trench drains slightly more effective at taking in a larger volume of water. Um, like I said, this is a learning process. You can see our inlet is located oddly close to the catch basin.
1: <laughs>
0: um, this was, I think this was the second site that we tried stormwater capture at. But we use an echo trench drain for the most part, and it's ADA-compatible, um, and it hasn't come up yet. Um, People have picked it up because they were interested, but um, no one's tripped on it and sued the city yet. Mm -hmm. So DOT is happy. Um, Some more examples. Um, Don't look at this, this was a mistake. (laughs) But um, we had a catch basin and we couldn't move it. So that's what happened. Um, This is a site where we extended an existing Green Street, which is why these trees look so large. And this is right after it rained, and the water is coming in here. And it is ponding a little bit, I have to say. Um, This is a small bioswale that captures a large volume of water, and it's actually much deeper than most most of the ones that we're building now. Um, The water runs along the curb and comes in here. There's a gravel forebay, and then it goes into the plants. Um, And the grasses have uh, really filled in, and we've also planted some trees in here since this picture was taken. Um, this is Church Avenue in Brooklyn, a very busy commercial and um, a hub of transportation, basically. It's a huge bus route. And before we built this, I don't have a before picture, but basically it was just an idling ground for buses. They would just sit there, go in and get their food in the Mexican food store, the Chinese food store. And then they'd sit there in their buses and eat, eat their lunch and, and, unfortunately, idle. So um, the community requested that we do something in the in the in the middle of the road to take up that space, so that they couldn't sit there any longer. They now sit alongside the green street, but for the most part, they turn their um, they turn their engines off because people are in here. Um, you know and actively hang out in here they actually bring their chairs we don't, you'll notice we don't design for seating, we don't design tables, we don't design garbage cans, all of those things um, largely because we don't have the maintenance abilities to empty the garbage cans and clean the benches and paint the graffiti and all the things that come with it so our sites are intended for a pass through but they're not necessarily intended for recreational use Um, so here's where the water comes in and um, there's actually an inlet further down also down here. Um, This is something that we're trying now, diamond plated inlet. I believe it's compressed galvanized steel. Um, Don't quote me on that. We just, uh, our contractor just received it, just installed it and you can see it was buckled when it went in. I I called my designer. He says uh, the contractor pinned it down and it is no longer buckled. So I'll have to see that when I go back. But um, basically, this is two and a half feet wide. It's very wide and there is no um, grate over it. So there is some trash that comes in here and has to be cleaned out on the other side. But the, and this is true of any inlet, any trench drain, anything that you're going to put. It's very difficult to keep the large garbage out of it. Um, but for the most part, our hope is that the um, value of the water irrigating the plants um, will mean that the, the planting beds won't have to be watered by the watering trucks as much and cleaning out garbage will become nothing next to, next to watering for hours. So I'm going to talk a little bit about species selection. Um, I was really excited to see the bald cypress outside here and um, on the way into the convention center because I love bald cypress. I think they're my favorite trees. And some of them were actually starting to grow these little knees. Um, we have not had any knees emerging in our sites yet, but I'm looking forward to the day when I see those. Here's some of the trees that we're using in New York City. You can read these yourself. Um, I don't think we're actually using tamarack. We, we weren't able to obtain them, but everything else um, we are using.
1: These trees of heaven, too?
0: No, we don't plant those ourselves. <laughs> they may volunteer. So, you know, bald cypress, swamp white oaks, um, chokeberries, sweet bay magnolias. When we have um, utility lines, those are useful if we still want to squeeze trees in there. Um, Let's see, sweet spire, little Henry sweet spire. We have uh, pepper bush, arrowwood viburnum, black gum, winterberry holly, Japanese spirea, all of the twig dogwoods, and bayberry. Um, so these, these plants are for the most part very urban tough and they're also, um, as much as possible, salt tolerant. New York City has serious road salting. Um, so it's something we have to contend with when we do our designs and we found that we put the most salt tolerant plants on the outside and the least salt tolerant on the inside and, and typically the edges will hold up with something as boring and basic as laripe and if we try to do anything too fussy, we end up with um, dieback and just bare soil. Um, perennials and grasses Um, I know you all are arborists so this may not interest you as much but grasses are very effective in slowing water down and in sort of netting together the soil where it might otherwise erode if it's moving quickly so we use a lot of um, ornamental grasses Uh, we have to keep them below 3 feet so we don't block um, driver visibility that's a big concern uh, for DOT so cardinal flower um, some carex blue flag iris swamp milkweed Skullcap, the switchgrass, the northern sea oats, which is really pretty in the fall. Um, the Joe Pye weed, obedient plant. Um, we're trying some ostrich fern now in some of the wetter and shadier areas. Um, sneezeweed and aster. Yeah, this is just a selection. We, we have a, a long list which we're working Probably
1: on. 36 inches or more, do you have I'm sorry? Do you have
0: Um, They do have to be pruned somewhat. But if they're in the center and they're not blocking sight lines, then there's not a problem with it. It's the same with the trees. You have to sight them where they're not going to block the traffic lights. Plus,
1: it's a little bit of a depression.
0: Right. They're standing six inches higher. Right. Like at Furmanville, it's actually more like a carpet garden. You'd be surprised everything's sort of similar heights from from the sidewalk. Um, So here's where I I need my little cheat sheet because I don't have... Or environmental engineer with me, but our average green st- oops, sorry wrong one our average green street is 15,000 square feet. What we're finding is that our stormwater sites are ending up 2,000 square feet because they need to be that large to handle the volume of water in, in high flooding zones. Um, so, for a 15,000 square foot green street, our anticipated subwatershed is 6,000 square feet, and that's basically we use a sizing factor of four times the size of the green street. And we know our soil pore size, and we know our um, three-foot depth uh, soil profile. You know how much it can, uh, how much it can hold, and that's how we come up with our total w- water storage capacity um, for that area. So, our total capture area is what falls on the green street. Plus, what falls on the subwatershed, and then um, with a two to three foot depth profile, this is what we come out to in terms of um, gallons captured. Uh, with 44 inches a year, um, we're up to this number, um, and this is for our our, um, our average stormwater capture green streets. Uh, for our regular green streets, right now with 2,484 sites, um, we have an estimate of 85 acres. That's the planting bed, not the sidewalk and the curbs and the the hardscape. I think that number is actually a little bit low, but we we don't have the staff to go out and field check it, so it's just literally taken by by our GIS staff off of our maps. Um, And then our total annual water infiltration, we estimate to be 105 million um, gallons in those sites. So if we could design all of our sites to have this capacity... Um, we may, you know, be able to go past the drop in the bucket because every little drop helps. But you know, if we can design them properly, um, we can really keep some water out of the catch basins. So we're very interested in seeing what's actually going on in our sites, and in order to get. Further funding and further support from the mayor's office, Um, they're really looking at us to come up with what's going on. They want to know, you know, what's the quantity of water we're capturing and what's the quality of that water. And, you know, God forbid, is it toxic to people walking past the site whose kids might step in it, that kind of thing. So, um, we're working very closely with our partners at Drexel University, Dr. Franco Montalto, Um, The New York City Soil and Water Conservation District, and Atlas Scientific, who's helped us um, develop these soil moisture probes that are going in some of our green streets. Um, Our first monitoring study, which has started, um, is funded by New York State Department of State and New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. um, And that's focused largely on measuring quantity. And volume and understanding how the water moves through the site. The second monitoring study, we actually want to look at water quality also, so we're working with Brooklyn College and Dr. Um, Cheng, Dr. Joshua Cheng. Um, this is an example of the monitoring well that DDC has um, put in for us at several of our sites to be able to take um, samples. The infiltrometer, the evaporation pan, and the rain gauge um, are all part of Drexel's studies, Drexel's equipment. Um, so here's our hydrological model. We know to some extent what's happening in our sites. We have precipitation, um, the rain on the site, the through-flow, which the canopy, um, canopy is intercepting some of the water. We have sheet flow um, runoff. Sorry, I'm not good with this pointer. Um, and, and then we have infiltration and hopefully percolation into the subsoil. Um, we also have evaporation um, and transpiration from the leaves. Um, and we have some runoff that will leave the site ultimately. And we, we design our sites with a runoff co- co- I'm sorry, runoff coefficient of 0.9 for asphalt. That's the standard runoff coefficient. So we want to test this model. Um, and so this is the first monitoring uh, study. Drexels designed four experiments that look at the different layers of the green streets, um, looking at the rainfall, evaporation and quantity being intercepted by the plants. Um, Looking at the soil surface and the amount um, that's being stored and infiltrated um, and the inflow from the sub-watershed, that's, you know, through the trench drain through the inlet. Um, However, the water is being actively captured. Uh, Looking at the root zone and the soil moisture in the roots um, and the percolation um, that's going on in that area, the top uh, two feet, two to three feet. And then looking at the groundwater and groundwater levels um, and how they fluctuate in response to rain events. Uh, The second monitoring study, I'll try not to bungle this. It's a little bit above my head, to be honest. But the water comes in. um, This is a site. This is the site I showed you, the design for Nashville Nashville and 116th Street in Queens. So the water comes in the street um, as runoff, comes in through the inlet, and is captured in this concrete box, which is a a flume box. Um, It then goes through a pipe, and all the pipes are PVC, uh, 3-inch PVC, enters a flow separator which diverts some of the water into the green street, which is not shown, and then the rest continues um, in, down here into the site um, and into a sampling box. This is just for winterization. Um, then we can test the quality of the water here. From there, um, it's difficult to tell, but these are these are match lines. So this is along the slope of the bioswale. So this is a deep an, uh, incline right here. So this here is actually still... Um, it's difficult to tell, but it, the water is moving along the bioswale downwards. so it's not, it's not like it is actually going up here. And then it comes out of this pipe and enters this um, planted weighing lysimeter, which is basically a three-foot-wide concrete box, three feet wide, three feet deep, and it's planted with a representative sampling of all the plants in the Green Street around it. Obviously, we don't have any trees in there. It's not quite large enough to accommodate that. But here, Drexel will be able to measure how how much water has moved in through here, has has come into the sampling blocks, and they can can shut it off at any point to to set the amount as it comes in. And then it goes through the soil profile, which is exactly um, like the surrounding soil profiles. This is basically a box that sits on a scale, so it can be weighed. And then moves through the soil and out through another PVC pipe into a second sampling box where it can be tested for water quality again. And then it eventually exits the uh, setup into the gravel drainage bed below the rest of our planting bed. So, you know, we're very interested in looking at what this research shows us and we're, we're keen on using this research to direct our future designs. And we're also looking very closely at what other cities are doing across the country and in Europe as well. And particularly what Philly and Portland and Seattle and all the other cities, which you know have come before us and pioneered some of these techniques, are doing. So, if you're doing stormwater capture, I would love to hear what you're doing. I would be very happy to share any of our details and designs, species lists, etc. You know, I'm very excited to learn what other people are doing. Thank you.
1: That concludes Adriana Yatskevitz's talk on New York City Green Streets designed for stormwater capture. If you would like to learn more about New York City's Green Streets program and see photographs of her projects, you can contact Adriana directly at adriana.yatskevitz@parks.nyc.gov. at parks.nyc.gov. That's spelled A-D-R-I-A-N-A dot j-a-c-y-k-e-w-y-c-z at parks.nyc.gov. If you would like to receive CEUs for today's talk, go to the ISA website, click on the Education and Research tab, and under e-learning you will find a link to ISA online quizzes. The code for today's talk is sa eighteen. 44 again SA1844 If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office or me Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture